Showtime! Welcome to With a Hyphen, a weekly Spider-Man comic book podcast where we know when you forget to say it with the hyphen. I'm your host, Aaron, and I'll be guiding you week to week along my journey through Spider-Man history. This week on the podcast, we'll be covering Amazing Fantasy 15, Spider-Man's debut issue. But before we get into that, let's discuss the podcast a little, give a little info since it is, well, our first episode. Long story short, I got really bored one night and created a Spider-Man reading order that goes from Amazing Fantasy 15 all the way to, as of the moment I'm recording this, the Secret Wars event. That's about 20-odd years of comic books. My plan is to read a few issues or specific storylines week to week and discuss them here as I work my way through that reading order. We'll talk about the issues themselves, as well as publication info and various facts. This reading order I made includes things outside of the main Amazing Spider-Man title as well. Things like Marvel Team-Up, Spectacular Spider-Man, crossovers into other books, and various one-shots and treasuries along the way. It's a lot of ground to cover, so let's get right into it with Amazing Fantasy number 15. Here comes Spidey! Before we get into discussing and reviewing slash commentating over the issue, I thought we'd discuss a little bit of information, like real-world stuff, about the issue itself. So one of the first things I have written down here is that Amazing Fantasy 15 was the last issue of that series, despite the fact that at the end of the issue it says, look out for the next issue of Amazing Fantasy. And Amazing Fantasy would be canceled after Spider-Man, though clearly that wasn't the end of Spider-Man. But before AF-15, it was also called Amazing Adult Fantasy. They switched it over. They were going to, you know, try and make it pop more, make it less, you know, just for adults. So, you know, people would pick it up for kids, too. Amazing Fantasy 15 was, of course, written by Stan Lee and drawn by Steve Ditko, but colors were done by Stan Goldberg and letters were done by Artie Simak for, you know, Spider-Man's part one and two. The cover for Amazing Fantasy 15 that we know now is that iconic cover with Spider-Man swinging, carrying that random dude, wasn't the original cover. Ditko drew a different cover originally, but Stan Lee brought Jack Kirby in to draw a new cover. They are extremely different. Kirby's, in my opinion, is the much better one. It's more heroic. It's more flashy. The copy lettering is the same from both. The logos are different, but it is a much more dynamic pose. It looks more heroic. And let's say you didn't know this info for some reason, even though you do now and you can't go back. If you look at Kirby's cover, the final version, the version we know now, and look at the face of the guy that Spider-Man's carrying, if you can't tell from Spider-Man himself, look at the face of the guy he's carrying. It's a very Kirby-like face. That's really the best way to describe it, that square jaw, intense features. That's a, that's a Kirby face if I've ever seen one. The Spider-Man story logo itself was a lot more web-like. It looked more like a, you know, a spider's web than just normal logo lettering. And the reason we know that is because I believe in around 2017, someone anonymously donated all the pages of the original art for Amazing Fantasy 15. And while they were going over it at the Library of Congress, they found that they could kind of take up the final logo a bit, and underneath was the original logo. They had just basically drawn and pasted over that original logo, which is what they would do sometimes back in the day. That's how you would make corrections to stuff. You would just basically paste over, because once it went to printing, you couldn't really tell the difference. Another fun little fact, in 9.6... CGC graded of Amazing Fantasy 15 in 2011 sold for over $1 million. Another little fun fact, I've held an Amazing Fantasy 15. Not graded, uh, because if it was graded, I'd probably shit myself if I was holding a million dollars. But still, I held one that wasn't graded. Really good condition, though. And it was when I worked at a comic shop, and people have asked me, well, why didn't you guys grade it? For a book like that, 
you don't really mail it. And we're located in New England. Uh, so we'd have to drive from New England down to Florida. Not going to happen. But that's just a little bit of fun little info, facts, trivia I thought I'd throw out there before we get into the issue itself. So let's start discussing the issue. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man at your service. So in discussing the issue, I want to point out real quick that I used the original coloring. Uh, and if you don't really know what that means, over the years, I think mainly Marvel has done this. DC hasn't really done this. They've done updated digital colorings, which, no offense to the colorists that do it, genuinely usually makes that older art look worse because the inking of the original stuff was not done with digital coloring in mind. Uh, but over the years, Marvel has republished stuff that they have edited uh, to have newer colors with the original colors. So I read one with the original colors, so I'm going to be talking about original colors, not edited colors. And if you were to look up this issue, because you haven't seen it for some reason, you will immediately know the difference. I also want to specify that I did not read the entirety of Amazing Fantasy 15. I just read Spider-Man Part 1 and Spider-Man Part 2. And the reason it's Part 1 and 2 is because back then they were anthology books. Uh, Amazing Fantasy, even with the Spider-Man issue, was an anthology book. There was like, I think, two or three other stories in it. And they're usually about six pages long. So they did the first six pages, second six pages... Boom, Spider-Man Part 1, Part 2. I have a couple notes here. Uh, and one of the things that I thought was interesting is that you'll find a lot of people talk about, like, oh, Spider-Man's always been this, like, decent guy. He's always been great. Because, like, most people have seen the movies. And my first introduction to Spider-Man was probably in the Raimi movies. And in those Raimi movies, he's kind of a pushover. Kind of like a nice guy at the beginning. He doesn't really, you know, have any contempt for anyone too much. But... In this issue, he's just like a dick from the beginning. Now, granted, he does get bullied, but the moment they're gone, he's like, they'll rue the day they messed with Peter Parker. Like, he's he's a vindictive son of a bitch. Like, from, from the moment it starts, which makes the fact that he doesn't stop the burglar later on make, like, way more sense because he just doesn't want to be bothered with other people's problems. Because in... Part one, he gets the powers and does the wrestling match like you see in the movie. And in part two, it's him doing more stuff as Spider-Man, Uncle Ben getting shot, stuff like that. Like that all doesn't happen in the same night like in the movies do, which I think the change the movie made in that regard is better for the origin story, making it that it happens the same night he debuts Spider-Man to the world because in the issue here he debuts as spider-man at the wrestling match and then he gets an agent who then puts him on tv and he has people offering to do different things with him like oh i think there's a reporter that's like i'm from life we'll pay you money for a full page spread like they're gonna have spider-man do a pinup and shit in the movie he debuts spider-man at the wrestling match he goes to get the money guy runs by uncle ben gets shot right then whereas in this he does a bunch of TV appearances, it seems, before Uncle Ben actually gets hurt. So he gets a bit of an ego, right? Which he gets in the movie from that wrestling match. Whereas in this, he kind of has the ego from the beginning. Because when he first makes the suit, he even says, like, Oh, they make fun of me for my brains, but who without brains could make these web shooters? You know, he says something along those lines. It's like, so he has a bit of an ego already. Not necessarily about his physique, but about his mentality. So him gaining the powers and the strength 
really only played into the fact of this kid's got an ego. Now he can have it about his brains and his brawn. So I, I, I thought that was definitely interesting. And I feel like that's kind of been forgotten over the years of Spider-Man. And I think that's okay. I think the ego of Spider-Man, because I mainly know more modern Spider-Man. I've read a few stories from the 80s and 90s. Not really any of the Lee era stuff, which is what we're going to be going through first, of course. So I'm not used to like an egotistical Spider-Man like as in this. And I'm actually not sure if he keeps it into the next few issues because I haven't read early ASM. I know some people who have, but I've really talked with them about it. But modern Spidey has not necessarily an ego, but he has that wit about him that one could almost call egotistical. But when you read it, it doesn't come across as an ego. It comes across as charismatic. So I feel like probably over time, and I'll discuss this as we read more issues, his ego will shift more into that wittiness. Because I know in his crossover with the Fantastic Four, which is next issue, as well as the annual, he goes to them because he wants to make money as Spider-Man. He thinks he can. That's still like a thing he wants to do, even though it's already failed him and gotten someone killed. So that's still there. That ego is there for a little bit. And I'm assuming we'll see it develop into the more witty Spider-Man that we know over time. A lot of the notes I took, to be honest, were just kind of about like random shit. Wasn't really uh, anything crazy. I mean, like I talked about the the vindictiveness and him appearing on TV and how there aren't immediately consequences to his actions. Which, like I said, I prefer in the movie that there's immediately consequences. But as a, some of the notes I took were just kind of more about the ridiculous nature of the book itself. Like, in the movie adaptation, which is what most people have seen, the spider he gets bit by is in a private facility. Whereas, in the original comic, they're just doing public radiation experiments. Just like, you know, you could just walk into the local, like, planetarium and they're just shooting radiation. In an uncontrolled environment, of course something was going to go wrong. I'm not, like, surprised at all. I mean, in the movies, it's that, at least in the first movie, as well as the Amazing Spider-Man movies, they're genetically modified spiders. We don't know how in the MCU he got his powers. We know he got bit, but we don't know what they were doing to the spiders, if it was on purpose or not. In this, it's completely by accident that that happens to the spider and in the future they would change it that he doesn't get the powers from the spider it's because he's a totem blah 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 i've read the morland shit because it's good stuff some of it but i i don't know i like i prefer the idea of accidental heroes than destined heroes that's just me personally like that's why i think spider-verse is so good as a movie because it's anyone can wear the mask and i think that's kind of an important part of what Spider-Man means to a lot of people and why Spider-Man appeals to so many people. And that's kind of what I believe Stanley has talked about over time is how anyone can be under the mask of Spider-Man and that's kind of the appeal about him uh, is kind of the best way to put it, I guess. is That's the appeal is that anyone can be under the mask. And I also didn't know this despite how much Spider-Man I've read and I double-checked this elsewhere. Spider-Man's powers are not sticky-based he can control things on a subatomic level to make them stick together. And I only looked it up because in the issue, he's drawn with like yellow energy around his fingers. That was kind of like a shock to the system, I guess. I feel like I knew that and I just blocked it out of my brain because it sounded really fucking stupid. And it is really fucking stupid. 
I, I like may, say whatever you want about the hair things in the Raimi movie. I feel like it's a better idea slash origin of how he sticks to things than he can control things on a subatomic level because of radiation poisoning or whatever from the spider, which I guess makes sense because radiation and atoms. Still, I feel like it's kind of uh, stupid is the best way to put it or ridiculous. I mean, we're talking about a guy with spider powers, I guess. So I guess ridiculous isn't the right word, but I... It feels weird compared to the other powers he has because his strength isn't based on, like, you know, atoms or anything. Just him sticking to stuff. He's able to control things on a subatomic level. That doesn't influence his strength. He can still punch someone's jaw off, you know what I mean? And that's not because he's moving the atoms on a subatomic level of the person's jaw out of the socket. It's because he literally just punched their fucking jaw off, you know? So it feels like a weird part of his powers, I guess, to me at least. Another thing I took note of is that in this, and this is just Stanley writing, there's a lot of adjectives, sensational, fantastic, a lot of poppy out there ones uh, that are just, you know, descriptives that would eventually come to describe Spider-Man. Sensational is one of them. He probably used fantastic because Fantastic Four. So, but there's that. Spider-Man loves his adjectives. Another thing I mentioned, and I mentioned this before about how Spidey appears on TV, which I thought was interesting because there are, there is a what if, there's a couple what ifs about Spider-Man being famous and doing stuff for money because one of the original what ifs, I think it might have been, I could be completely wrong on this. I think it's what if 24 from the original series. I think it's like what if Spider-Man had stayed a wrestler or something like that. And I haven't read that one, but it's literally about like what if he didn't become a hero. What if he used his powers to just make money? And I think it's an interesting concept for a what if, and it definitely goes against the Spider-Man we would know by that time, because that what if series started in, I think, 73, 74, something like that, somewhere in the 70s, uh, mid to late 70s. So that would have been a very different Spider-Man than what people would have been used to by then. In terms of my enjoyment of the issue getting away from my notes and just kind of talking about how I felt about the issue overall I can see how people really came to like Spider-Man enough that it would warrant him getting his own series outside of Amazing Fantasy 15 or how the creators of Spider-Man could come to like him enough to give him his own series or think it's worth it because and I think a lot of it is because of Ditko's art Ditko's art plays a major factor in it. Lee's writing is fun. Lee is Lee's one of those writers that early on in Marvel is very much a tell instead of show guy, but that was also just how comics were written back in the day. You know what I mean? But Ditko's art, which is very thin and lanky, you know, we get that thin and lanky Spider-Man for that. It makes him feel almost like a horror-based hero. I mean, he's based on a spider. Arachnophobia is a thing that afflicts millions of people, right? So if you saw something that was like Spider-Man, you'd be like, oh shit, what's that? And there are moments where he looks almost horror-like. Like there's a panel where he sneaks up on the goon that killed Uncle Ben and he's looking over him and he's like perched over him and he looks like just this monster in the darkness almost. Like that's how like a ch- I would interpret it as like a kid is like this guy sticking to the wall in this weird pose. Like you'd be terrified. Like it reminded me of... Uh, what movie was it? It was Hereditary. If you've ever seen Hereditary, there's a part in that movie where I think it's the grandma's body maybe is like 
perched on the ceiling, like perched like where the ceiling and the wall meet, and it's fucking terrifying. Like I remember like being terrified of that and that image sticking in my mind for weeks because one, I'm a scaredy cat, and two, it just was like terrifying. It's like the scene of uh I think it's in BVS, right? Batman's perched in the corner. It was like that, you know? It was just if anyone saw that, they would shit themselves. If you saw someone perched up like that in real life, you would shit yourself. And he he's a really just intriguing looking character for the time he's also the only at the time teenage hero as far as i'm aware who wasn't a sidekick and he was still called spider-man so and i've seen people point out how like it's an interesting choice that he named himself spider-man and blah 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 it's like from a meta contextual point sure whatever but from a stan lee point it's like how are we gonna sell a teenager as a hero we can't call him spider boy we're gonna call him spider-man you know, so they called him Spider-Man. That was a very awful impression, but you're gonna you're gonna have to live with it. I also liked in it in the last panel where he's with the goon, or the panel where he realizes that the goon is the guy that killed his uncle, Ditko purposefully drew that you could see his pupils through the mask. And it adds this almost discomforting shock to the moment, which I really, really liked. Like it was a really smart artistic choice. Of course, Spider-Man emotes with the eyes, but in that issue, he kind of really doesn't. That's not a thing that would come around immediately, clearly. So using the pupils in the, like, just because the, on that original one, the eyes are enormous, right? They are, they take up like 90% of the face, basically, or like 75% of it. So those little dots for pupils, just, it, it looks like his, he's just in shock and terrified because he realizes Holy shit, if I had stopped this guy like a week ago, Uncle Ben would be alive right now. And I think Ditko's art, specifically in that moment, plays really, really well into it. Because Ditko necessarily isn't the greatest at facial expressions, I would say, from his art that I've seen. I think he's a master when it comes to body work. But his faces, I could, I could, uh, give her, you know, I could give or take on if I want him or not, if that sentence even makes sense. But in, in that moment, his use of just the eyes as facial features was genius. I loved it. So good. Very, very good. Uh, I think that the issue overall, talking about the writing a bit, is... It, it, I mean, it's basic. It's part of an anthology series from the early 60s. You're not really going to get a ton, especially since it wasn't a book just devoted to him. You had other things in there, which, like I said before, I didn't really read because Spider-Man podcast. Why do I care about the rest of the issue? I'll read the rest of the issue in, I don't know, 20 years. Who knows? Whenever I remember to. Whenever I pull out my facsimile copy. And as I said, Peter's reign is like this vindictive kid a little bit. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He, he feels, it's very clear that he feels like the world owes him something. But at the same time, he also loves his family. Like, he makes a point of saying, like, that they are the only ones who've been nice to me. I'm going to make sure they get what they're due, blah, 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 stuff like that. So he does have people he loves, but he also feels like everyone fucking hates me, dude. No one is nice to me. Like, it it feels like... The funny thing about it is, like, I would compare Peter's attitude in this book to those people that go on, like, Twitter and are like, you know, I got bullied for liking anime in high school, so these new anime fans, they should get bullied too. Like, that's the, that's the vibes they give me, right? Like, you get some people like that with comics, but I really, really see it with anime fans, because they're convinced that, like, it wasn't their weirdo behavior that did it. Now, for Peter, it wasn't weirdo behavior. It was literally just being a nerd in the 60s. Uh, a, a Jewish nerd, because if you ask me, 
and you can say whatever you want. I'm going to read Spider-Man, and I've always read Spider-Man, as being Jewish. He's created by a Jewish team. He's had a ton of Jewish people work on him. Peter B. Parker is very blatantly Jewish. He speaks Yiddish multiple times in the comics and in shows. Spider-Man, on this podcast, to me, if you ask me, is Jewish. not going to get into other reasons why I think that. There are other reasons you could talk about, but Spider-Man is Jewish. That's all I got to say on that. And if you were a Jewish a Jewish kid and a Jewish nerd in the 60s, oh, you were, dude, you were getting fucking bullied. Ain't no way you weren't, right? Like, I mean, maybe not as much as when, like, Stan Lee and Ditko and Kirby and all them were growing up and they were younger. You know what I mean? Because the 40s and 50s were really bad for it. I know because my grandfather lived through that time and he's told me about it. But the 60s couldn't have been easy, dude. There's no way. Jews have never had it easy. I speak as a, as a Jewish man. I, we've never had it easy. I got bullied for being Jewish. Of course Peter Parker would get bullied if he was Jewish as well as a nerd. They'd beat the shit out of him on the playground. But they definitely write the bullies as stereotypical jock bullies. Like, look at the nerd, bro. And like, he asks out this girl. I wrote her name down. What was her name? Her name was, he asks out a girl named Sally, who then immediately goes, you're not my type, Parker, but that hunk of a man, Flash Thompson. Now that's my type. Like Peter just can't catch a break. Stanley writes this book. Like you just want to feel bad for this kid. And you do. But At the same time, he's kind of, like, morally questionable because of how vindictive he is and what it ends up causing. You're on his side, but at the same time, you're like, yeah, but you're, you're kind of a dick. Even if, even if these people didn't bully you, it seems like you'd kind of be a a dick because you're egotistical about your smarts either way. Maybe he wouldn't be egotistical if people were okay with his smarts, but, like, still, right? It's like, he's kind of like, they'll see, they'll... They'll all see one day when Peter Parker is better than all of them. But overall, I think the issue very much sells you a character that is flawed and has paid for those flaws very dearly in the loss of his uncle, someone who clearly means a lot to him. And of course, the book ends with that iconic, with great power must also come great responsibility. I I think overall, it's a very good introductory to a character that would become one of the biggest characters of all time. Do I think it's necessary reading as a Spider-Man fan? Not, not necessarily. I don't think it's needed reading because they've retold it so many times. But I think if you're a big Spider-Man fan, you should definitely give it a read because I am a big believer in looking at where the things you love come from. Finding out how they've evolved, how they've changed. Like I said, I've only really known modern Spider-Man and some 80s and 90s stuff, right? I'm going back to the beginning. Like, I love Ramita Sr. art. I'm really excited for us to get to the era where I love Ditko art, but Ramita Sr. is just my guy. Love his Spider-Man art, and I can't wait for us to get there. But for now, we're going to work our way through the Ditko era. On the next episode, we're probably going to talk about Amazing Spider-Man one through four as well as the first fantastic four annual because the fantastic four annual kind of adds on to amazing spider-man number one so that'll be five issues next time probably going to be a much not necessarily a much longer episode but definitely much more discussed in a more compact way i guess is the best way to put it i mean this is just the first episode we're kind of feeling it out so but i just wanted to let you know what we're going to be talking about next week And overall, I'd say Amazing Fantasy 15 was a good read. You can email me 
or email into the show at with a hyphen cast at Gmail. You can email me. You can send in a question. You can send in your thoughts uh, and any of that stuff I'll address and we'll come up with a name for that section. But if you do email in, let me know any ideas you have for the podcast that you would like to see me try out as well as let me know your thoughts on Amazing Fantasy 15 if you've read it. So until next episode, stay lovely and stay safe. This has been Aaron with with a hyphen. Gotta run or swing. You know what I mean.